You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Joe Biden speaks, gives a very rare interview. He speaks, more or less, kind of, sort of. Big sit down with Jake Tapper. And no one was impressed. And there was a bit of deception. I don't think he's being straight with us. Do you? Should the American people prepare for a recession? No. Look, they've been saying this now how uh, every, every six months they say this. Every six months, they look down the next six months and see what's going to happen. It hadn't happened yet. It hadn't. There, there has. There is no. There's no guarantee that they're going to be. I don't think there will be a recession. If it is, it'll be a very slight recession. All right. Don't get ready for a recession. You don't have to get ready for a recession because there's going to be a recession. There are things you can do to get ready for a recession. Look at any financial magazine. They're going to tell you, do this, do that, do this, do that. Don't do this. Do more of that. Uh, One of the things they want you to do is pay off debt. Joe Biden, you said you would be straight with us. That was not a straight answer, was it? Okay, what happened next? Poll shows that almost two-thirds of Democratic voters want a new nominee in 2024, and the top reason they gave was your age. So what's your message to Democrats who like you, who like what you've done, but are concerned about your age and the demands of the job. Well, they're concerned about whether or not I can get anything done. Look what I've gotten done. Name me a president in recent history that's gotten as much done as I have in the first two years. Not a joke. You may not like what I got done. Yeah, Joe, we don't like what you've gotten done. And I think you're right, actually. No president has wrought this much destruction in the history of America in the first two years. Let's go through it. A totally decimated, wide open border, okay? Inflation that we have not seen in, what, four decades. How about ripping this country apart with that hate speech you gave right around Labor Day? Gas prices out of control, huh? All in less than two years. How about plummeting national stature for America, right? Nobody respects us anymore. You got owned by some weirdo prince in Saudi Arabia. What else do we have here? Crime? (laughs) Crime. You could not say law and order in that debate. See this axe man going on a rampage? Three hours later, he was out of jail. Since then, he's committed another crime. He stole a bike and was released from that situation. All right, Hunter Biden. Yeah, the press can cover it for you, but only for so long. Hunter Biden is back in the White House walking around. He still has big problems, and a lot of them seem to tie right back to you, Joe. How about Afghanistan? You blew it in Afghanistan. The Taliban now in control. That horrifically botched withdrawal 
That is on you. Now they have our weapons and terrorists are running a country, running an entire country. How about this obscene obsession with gender that happened seemingly overnight and so many people are fixated on little kids? Are you doing anything to stop it? No, you're encouraging it. Hey, by the way, the supply chain is still screwed up. This Christmas, good luck getting a Christmas tree and beer. Both are expected to be in very short supply. And then there's you, Joe, this bizarre, erratic, angry, often lazy, taking the entire summer off, getting owned by the Easter Bunny. Joe, your behavior is decidedly not presidential. So you have done a lot of damage. In fact, your two years as president reminds me of a, of a movie, Manchurian Candidate. Anybody see the Manchurian? I'm talking about the good one, the one from the early 1960s with Frank Sinatra. Well, there's a scene with the ooh, newly departed Angela Lansbury and uh, some senator she doesn't like. She wants to push her husband into the vice presidency. This guy knows it's a threat and calls him out. I would spend every cent I own and all I could borrow to block you. There are people who think of Johnny as a clown and a buffoon, but I do not. I despise John Iceland and everything that Icelandism has come to stand for. I think if John Iceland were a paid Soviet agent, he could not do more to harm this country than he's doing now. Wow. Now, I'm not accusing Joe Biden of being a foreign agent out to uh, do harm to America. But that statement, that line from that guy in that movie somehow resonates, huh? Could Joe Biden have made matters worse even if he tried, even if he was being pushed by some outside force? I don't know. All right, back to the interview for a moment. What issues did not come up? Uh, a lot, actually. If I had a chance to uh, sit down with Joe Biden, I think it's a fair question. Mr. President, what can you tell me about your meeting with Tony Bobolinsky? I was introduced to Joe Biden by Jim Biden and Hunter Biden. At, and a, at my approximately hour-long meeting with Joe that night, we discussed the Biden's history, the Biden's family business plans with the Chinese, with which he was plainly familiar, at least at a high level. On numerous occasions, it was made clear to me that Joe Biden's involvement was not to be mentioned in writing, but only face to face. Oh, Joe Biden has to be asked about Tony Bobolinsky. In office almost two years, and he has not been asked about this very credible witness. Why not? How do they let him get away with this? Uh, also, I'd ask Joe Biden, let's see. Joe, you were in office for eight years as vice president during that time. How many prosecutors do you, did you insist be fired? Prosecutors in other countries, how many? I said, I'm telling you, you're not getting a billion dollars. I said, you're not getting a billion. I'm going to be leaving here. And I think it was, what, six hours? I looked, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> Got fired. Wow, what a tough guy, you know? But seriously, like, did you only do that in Ukraine? Because I've looked it up, and it looks like he only did that in Ukraine, where Hunter Biden was getting paid $80,000 a month by Burisma, who had problems with the authorities. And that's the one country where we had a prosecutor fired. That's something. Did any of this come up in his interview on CNN? No. 
because Jake is uh, kind to Democrats and really mean and hostile to Republicans. Here he is with Donald Trump. This is raw, unvarnished, ignorant bigotry. You are a leader. You're the front runner in the Republican uh, race. Do you not have a responsibility to call out this hatred? Well, you know, we could be politically correct if you want, but certainly, if, are you trying to say we don't have a problem? Because I think everybody would agree. Wow. Muslims <laughs> Did you hear the tone of that question? Muslims and Trump is totally blasé in his answer. He could have turned that on for Joe Biden, who has been openly bigoted in the past, but no, he didn't. He put on those uh, eyeglasses now, very, very smug and just had a amiable chit chat with a president that we can all see is in way over his head and is completely failing on almost every front. Big question, of course, is when you're gonna make an official announcement about whether or not you're gonna run for 2024 for reelection, do you think you'll make a decision before the end of the year? Well, look, uh, I'm not gonna make this about my decision. I'm gonna make this about this off year election. After that's done, in November, and then I'm going to be in the process of deciding. Is one of the calculations that you think you're the only one who can beat Donald Trump? I believe I can beat Donald Trump again. In the process of deciding, in the, pro the process of deciding is bigger than him. I don't think it's up to him. I think it's up to Susan Rice, Ron Klain, and Barack Obama. These three individuals right now are running the country. And if I'm reading the situation correctly, and I think I am, they're giving him the signal right now that Joe's time is up. Little signs here and there. Saturday Night Live. I used to like the show, but then they went woke. But suddenly, yeah, year and a half, almost two years into the Biden presidency, now, just now, they start to make fun of him. Biden was then heard criticizing reporters at the White House for shouting questions at him. Questions like, what year is it? And who's the current president? <laughs> also, they weren't reporters, they were doctors. Now, they could have been doing this <laughs> during the campaign, but they didn't. They're doing it now. And this week, the New York Times ran an interesting story. Biden's storyteller-in-chief spins yarns that often unravel. All right, this was a kind way of saying that Joe has been caught in dozens and dozens of lies, especially about his academic record, about, well, things that he said happened but didn't happen. We've seen it a million times. Oh, by the way, I'm quoted in the article. Yes, I am, Greg Kelly. When you lie about big things, you lie about small things, said Greg Kelly, a host on the conservative network Newsmax this year. And always in a political sense, always in a way to try to get people to like him and exaggerating all the way. Well, amazingly, this story ran yesterday and Joe Biden got caught in yet another incredible, totally unnecessary lie He's living in a different era where he thinks that we can't check this kind of stuff. Listen. American soldiers in the 10th Mountain Division scaled that 1,800-foot cliff at night, caught the Germans by surprise, captured, captured key positions, and broke through the German defense line at a pivotal point in the war. Just imagine, I mean it sincerely, I say this as a father of a man who won the Bronze Star, the Conspicuous Service Medal, and lost his life in Iraq. Imagine the courage, the daring, and the genuine sacrifice. His son died of cancer in a hospital in Delaware. This was today. Bo Biden, 
served honorably in the United States military and was a high-ranking official in the state of Delaware. A good guy, but he did not die in Iraq. Why would he say such a thing? Always in an effort to connect. It's really sad, and it's actually frightening. The stakes are very, very high right now. There are big lies like that, and then there are little lies like this. All right, Mr. President, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, I know you're rooting for the Phillies. That's a fact. <laughs> if I weren't, I'd be sleeping alone. I married a Philly girl. Oh, yeah. All right, thank you, sir. Thank you. He did not marry a Philly girl. Jill is from Willow Grove, 30 miles outside of Philadelphia. And he wasn't talking about his first wife either. She was from upstate New York. The man has serious, serious problems. And unfortunately, so do we. Next, Los Angeles. Somebody may allegedly have said something off color behind closed doors years ago, and there's total pandemonium there now. <laughs> we'll be right back. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Okay, things are pretty hectic in Los Angeles. People are up in arms about some allegedly racist comments that were made in private years ago. And just a little while ago, the uh, city council president resigned. She actually had to resign. Now, guess what? I'm not going to jump on the bandwagon here. These are high-level Democrats who have been forced to resign over things they said that, quite frankly, I don't see the racism. I'm sorry I don't. I was suspicious from an early stage, especially when Joe Biden got involved. When Joe Biden is the one calling for resignations because of racism, yeah, I just, I have to take a step back and evaluate the whole thing because Joe and racism, <laughs> you got something there. But this situation, I'm not so sure. Now, for one thing, you have to remember, this was not a press conference. They didn't say this on television. They were behind closed doors talking politics. And yeah, it's not pretty. But I want to hear, I want to show you what she said. And let's talk, okay? Let's think about this. Go ahead. And then there's this, this white guy with this little black kid who's misbehaved. Este niño has no, he's, they're not even, yeah, no, they're not doing, the kid is bouncing off the effing walls on the floor, practically <laughs> tipping it over. There's nothing you can do to control him. Parece changuito. And I'm just like, oh, my God, I'm over here trying to parent this kid. I'm like, you can't do that. I said no. She said, white guy, is that a problem? No. She said, black kid, is that a problem? No. She said, pache canguito, is that the phrase? Like a monkey. Now, she's talking about a kid who's uh, running all over the place, being kind of crazy on a parade float. Is it automatically racist when you say a young kid is acting like a monkey? I actually don't think so, no matter what the color of the kid. I'm sorry. Uh, one of my favorite shows in the universe happens to be The Simpsons. And I remember the episode where 
Homer gets, well, he got drunk in a lot of episodes, but in, I think, season one, he gets really hammered at a neighborhood party in his house. Bart, come over here. What? You little monkey. You're a little monkey, are you? Yes, sir. Bart, do that thing you do that's so cute. What? That thing you know how to do. What? Go to bed. Go to bed. Called him a little monkey because he's cute. Cute little monkey, a mischievous little kid. I know a mischievous little kid, and uh, she's my daughter. This is from a month ago. Jump! Jump! I jumping! Oh. I jumping! I'm a dumb man! I like a monkey! I like a monkey! That's right, like a monkey. Do it again. <laughs> Isn't she great? I'm sorry. And then Joe Biden is going to Joe Biden's going to weigh into this. Joe Biden. Joe Biden. I don't think so. You want to see racist behavior, right? Overt racist behavior. Joe Biden, you you perfected it, unfortunately. It's a long way until November. We got more questions. You got more okay. questions. But I tell you, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump and you ain't black. Joe Biden said that on television. He knew he was being recorded. He knew he was speaking to Charlemagne. And he said such a horrible, horrible thing. Now, I'll remind folks that this was surreptitiously recorded, the LA City Council meeting. People talk and say a lot of things in private. I don't think this is the way we want to live as a country. Hey, remember uh, the drama queen cop, Fanon? The indifference shown to my colleagues is disgraceful. What a performance. And now it's time to cash in. His book, his new book dropped yesterday. Marco Fanon, Hold the Line. And guess what he did? Because his story really isn't all that. He had to go around town with his iPhone on record, in the record mode. And he tried to get people saying stuff that he could hold against them. I think that's really, really low. He went into uh, Leader McCarthy's office. Take a look at this from his book. Uh, As I entered the Capitol, I did what I always did when I went on a risky op. I hit the record button on my iPhone and stuffed it in my pocket. Hello, I'm Kevin, McCarthy said, extending a hand as we entered his Capitol office. And listen to Fanon. I sized up which chair might be McCarthy's favorite and planted myself there. Uh, He's... uh, He's quite a handful, this guy. Uh, And here's one of the tapes he actually made that made its way into the book. What I've experienced since then has been horrific. It's hell on earth. I am not a political person. I do not enjoy my time here on Capitol Hill. I would much rather be sitting at home with my daughters drinking a cold beer. But instead, I feel an extension of my service on January 6th to be up here writing this wrong. Actually, he told uh, Rolling Stone magazine that he wanted to go to Capitol Hill to annoy people. He decided to pay a little visit to every one of those House Republicans. I was like, I've got nothing better to do today. I'm going to annoy some people on Capitol Hill. And he goes up there with his big buddy, Dunn, Dunn and Fanon. And you know what they do? They hassle Republicans and saying, why didn't you vote to give us a gold medal? You remember how we let everybody inside? You should give us a gold medal. 
How about that? How about that? All right, back to the LA situation. Uh, the city council president said this. All right, kind of hard to follow here, but uh, it seems like she's accusing a white city council member who adopted a black child as using that child as an accessory. Now, I'm sure there's, I know there's genuine love between that man and that little boy. Of course, of course, of course. But, um, well, you know, sometimes politicians are known to use family members as accessories. I've seen it before. And especially when race is uh, involved. I mean, Bill de Blasio became mayor of New York City because of this commercial. He was in last place until this commercial aired, and then he <laughs> he skyrocketed to first place in a very crowded field because of the black son, Dante. This is politics. I've also heard of people adopting children. I'm not saying it happened in the L.A. case, but, well, with ulterior motives. Remember the movie Mommy Dearest about Joan Crawford? And she adopted that baby, and she grew up to be that fine young woman. Oh, boy, what a tense household. Do you remember this? Why did you adopt me? Because I wanted a child. Because I wanted someone to love. Don't you act for me. I want to know. Why did you adopt me? Maybe I did it for a little extra publicity. Maybe she did it for a little extra publicity. Human beings are human beings. And sometimes motivations are complex. I just know that there was a horrible rush to judgment by the mob in Los Angeles. And when we go down this slope, listening to private conversations years later, I don't think this is the kind of country we want to live in. I think it's very, very bad. All right, got to move on to another situation that I think is sad but also amusing. We have a mayor here who thinks he's a real hotshot, Mayor Adams, but uh, he's not. He's not. He's very, very impressed with himself as he walks around New York City. He really thinks he's the bomb. I mean, my goodness gracious, the arrogance, but he knows nothing. And he has the mentality of a seventh grader. I mean it, a seventh grader, a seventh grader who likes dope. Take a look. One thing for sure, one law that was passed is clearly being practiced right now because I smell some weed. Someone is smoking. <laughs> Someone is smoking. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you smell that, like, like Marsha? <laughs> Reminds me of somebody, that laugh too, right? Doesn't it? How about Beavis and Butthead? Remember those guys? <laughs> Beavis, <laughs> do you smell that? <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> Somebody's smoking dope. <laughs> yeah, let's get some. Uh, New York City, Mayor Adams, Mayor Adams. This is a long time coming, though. It's not Mayor Adams' fault necessarily that there's pot everywhere. 
his predecessor, Bill de Blasio, and his nitwit police commissioner, uh, Bratton, advertised that that was how much marijuana you could carry in New York City legally. Take a look at that. You could go, I don't know, I don't know much about the drug trade, but that looks like it's worth a lot of money. Again, the message was you can have this much marijuana legally in New York. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. All right. A couple of more quick details. The Axeman just wanted you to know that, yes, he went on a, a rampage a couple of weeks ago at a McDonald's and then he was let out of jail. Uh, for an interview. He was arrested already for another crime and has been released for that crime. Yes, <laughs> the Axeman. Uh, nobody wants to keep this guy in custody. I'm always out there on the road, so I'm always actually getting into it with drivers, which is what the Tomahawk is for. It's not for people. It's for trees and, you know, vehicles. Jail for him is but a minor inconvenience. We need help fast. Hey, when we come back, the Republican nominee for governor in Arizona, the incredible Carrie Lake. Stay with us. All right, check it out. According to this poll, it's neck and neck. Republican Carrie Lake versus Democrat Katie Hobbs. But all the buzz seems to be about Carrie. Check out some of these headlines Please, Trumpism has found its leading lady. Uh, <laughs> how about this? Oh, some of Katie Hobbs' supporters are concerned. MAGA firebrand Carrie Lake is outshining her low-key campaign. Absolutely. Well, Carrie Lake joins us once again. Uh, welcome <laughs> back. How are you? How's it going out there? Oh, it's going good. We just had more excitement. Uh, in the last couple of hours, you know, we had offered a debate. It's a, a tradition here to have a debate between all of the statewide candidates and my cowardly opponent backed out of it. So the rules are that then you offer it to whoever is willing to show up. And I showed up for the debate. They canceled it because Katie Hobbs wasn't there. So they took that opportunity away from me, and we really called out the media for not covering that fairly. We are going to demand a debate with Katie Hobbs. The people of Arizona want it. PBS tried to do a backroom deal to give her her own special time because she's afraid to show up on the debate stage. It's just outrageous what's happening here. She's such a coward. Yeah, it's, well, you know what? It's kind of lose-lose for her. If she doesn't show up, you're going to uh, obviously call her out on that. And if she does show up, she's going to get beaten real bad. That's my sense. Uh, <laughs> well, right? I mean, she's really in a bit of a fix. Well, I mean, I think the people of Arizona will understand that she maybe isn't a great communicator. We had a, a forum the other day, and she was afraid to let me anywhere near her on stage. And they asked her a softball question, name one good thing about the Latino community. She spent a minute and a half, um, 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 she couldn't come up with one single positive attribute of the Latino community, which makes up a third of our population here in Arizona. So, I mean, I think it would, I think it would be a fine debate. She would represent herself in the best way she can. Let's face it. Being a candidate for high office and as effective and potentially as successful as you, it's looking very, very good. It's a lot more interesting and rewarding than being a news anchor. That's my sense. Watching you do this job, <laughs> watching you do your old job, this is what you were made for. 
You know, I thought when I walked away from my career, Greg, I walked away because I was just so disillusioned with where journalism had fall far it had fallen. I thought kind of my excitement level would go way down and I would just end up working at a normal office job. And turns out God had different plans for me. He has paved the way for me to run for governor, and we're going to turn this state around and do great things for this state. And we're working so hard that you can hear I'm actually losing my voice right now. We're doing anywhere from six to 10 meetings and events a day. We're leaving nothing to chance, even though our polls show us up four points. We're working so hard. We're acting like we're behind. And we want to touch and speak to every single voter in this great state of Arizona and share our ideas for this state. Well, I know what you mean about the voice. Uh, I've been feeling it myself, and I'm not out there like you are, of course. Hey, <laughs> what does Arizona look like? In four years, after four years of Carrie Lake as governor, if that happens, how, how is it different from the Arizona today? I think after one year, we're going to see our streets return to safe streets. We're going to see that our borders are secure and we're not seeing... Um, hundreds of thousands of people pour across our Arizona border. We're going to see the cartels push back and at bay, not using Arizona as their drug running ground to bring fentanyl into this country. I think we're going to see some big changes in one year's time or less. And we're also going to see the uh, wall being built and a lot more security. I'd like to say we're gonna see some of our education policies, which is trade school, vocational training and career certification brought in for our high schoolers so they're ready for the jobs after graduating. One more thing, you know, the media, they are pretty tough on you, I think especially tough. And one of my theories is they're jealous and envious because you were in the media, now you've taken this plunge and you're doing very well at it. It's one thing that a lot of folks in the media hate is watching their peers succeed. Uh, do you think I'm onto something? You know what? I never had thought of that until you interviewed me and asked me that question before. And I've thought about it after you mentioned that. And I think you could be right about that. A lot of people leave the media. They, they go on to do a PR job. They go on to do something that's kind of small. And they're not willing to take a risk and do something big and make a change. And they're probably jealous. I hate that. I hate the thought of that. I wish they weren't jealous. But it's time for all of us to step forward and put our selfish needs behind us and do something big for our community, our state, and our country, because we need to save this great America. We need to save our save it for our children, frankly. Uh, go to CarrieLake.com, CarrieLake.com, K-A-R-I-L-A-K-E.com. No jealousy <laughs> here, of course. Hey, do us a favor. We don't know, know too much about your family, and what do you like to do when you're not campaigning? I, I'm, all, I'm just campaigning all the time. Thankfully, my son's in college, so he's having a good time. My daughter's working, and so we see each other a little bit. But um, they are really supportive of what we're doing, so everything is good. And thankfully, my husband's with me on the campaign trail, so that's going well. I would love it if you send your viewers over to my Rumble page. We just held a rock and roll, rambunctious press conference Pour yourself a beer and watch the press conference we did, just did about this rally. It was Look at the press that we are bringing into this race here in Arizona. Have you ever seen anything like that? Oh, wow. That, this is going to be a doozy. I can't wait. Your press conference. <laughs> so wait a second. It's on your Rumble channel? 
Yeah, we carried it live and take a look at it. I mean, I'm really appalled that Katie Hobbs' cowardice, she's on the verge of killing a tradition called the clean elections debates that we've had for 20 years. And her latest move is going to kill those debates from here on out if PBS doesn't step up and do the right thing. So I encourage your listeners and, and viewers to check it out on my Rumble feed and let me know what you think. All right, will do. Let me see that picture one more time. That is great, a lot. That is a, that's like, you're like the UN Secretary General during uh, <laughs> nuclear arms talks. That's amazing, that's amazing. Carrie and, Lake. And Greg, you asked me about my family real quick. Go to my Twitter or uh, Facebook and see the uh, bio piece we put. Sounds good. Okay, you're looking at one of those raucous school board meetings where, you know, emotions are running high because so many of these schools are thrusting inappropriate material into the curriculum. This is Dearborn, Michigan, earlier this week, where the school board, they seem to be in love with these books that are highly inappropriate for children with the radical LGBTQ plot lines at times. You know, something was, to me, a little bit special about this one uh, gathering, though. Christians and Muslims came together. Dearborn has a very high Muslim population, a lot of Christians there, too. They have a lot in common, especially care for their kids. And these books cross a big line. I'd like to bring in Stephanie Butler from Dearborn. She was at that meeting, along with uh, Naji Almud Heji. He's also a Dearborn, Michigan resident, uh, has some nieces and nephews in the school district. Welcome to you both. Nice to see you. And uh, Najee, first to you. Tell us a little bit about your concerns about the, uh, what the school board is up to in Dearborn, please. First of all, uh, good evening and assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you, Mr. Kelly. Thank you for having me this evening. Um, for me, I was alerted to one of the, the books, which... Um, I mentioned at the school board meeting last month, and it had to do with this promotion of some of these sex acts. Uh, and one of them was called Grinder, which I had never heard of before in my life. And they had like some positive reviews there, basically saying that it's um, advertised as a social networking app, but it's really for casual sex. And, um, and multiple reviews like that and, and very graphic sexual content. And I told the school board, I, I was like, you know, what benefit does this have, you know, for, for, for uh, school children? And um, unfortunately, we even had less than an hour and a half from where I live right now. We had uh, um, a situation where a very horrible, horrible crime took place where the killer admitted to luring a young, troubled man and basically luring him to his house and, and killing him. It's a, a totally tragic, tragic situation that really, really breaks my heart and it saddens me for the family. And it makes me like also angry in a way because like this is the stuff that the app that they're promoting in that book and none of them have the sense, none of them in, in, in the Dearborn officials have the sense to say this is not appropriate for children. Thank you. And and Stephanie, uh, we, I'm sure you agree with, uh, with our friend here and uh, you have four kids in this... How receptive are they? What, 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 is there going to be a move here? Because these books are, some of them clearly just have no business in a, an under 18-year-old environment. 100%. 
the question was, do I feel like there's going to be a move here? And the answer is no. I feel like we are going to have to go full force with this, uh, with recalls and everything else, because we have tried so hard to do everything the right way, the appropriate way, uh, take the appropriate channels. doesn't matter if we have 800 people, if we have 1,500 people, they are just refusing to hear us at this point. And can I ask you, look, for me, it's, it's kind of heartwarming, quite frankly, to see Christians and Muslims uh, together on this one. I'd love your thoughts on that. Stephanie, if you don't mind, I, uh, I just think that's uh, kind of great. So, yeah, it is great. It is great. Um, you know, Naji and, and the people in this community, they are my, my clients, my neighbors, my best friends. Um, I'm actually, you know, my husband is a Muslim. I'm Catholic. So um, I feel like what this can show the world is that we are as divided as people want to make us out to be. I think that's more um, a media narrative. Uh, we live amongst each other. We love each other. We fight for the same causes when their children hurt, my children hurt, and, and vice versa. So I, I'm blessed to be here in this community. The school board itself, uh, I think we have them basically shutting this whole thing down. Let's listen to that, please. As board president, I have the right to to set the time limits. You have the right to sit there and tell us we can't talk. Roxanne, just continue, Roxanne. Just continue. Wow. It doesn't look like it's settled. It does not look like. Uh, Najid, if you don't mind, I only have 10 seconds left. Do you have any thoughts about working with, uh, with people of another faith? You heard what I think. I just, I, there's something about it. I love that you guys are, are working this, uh, on this together. It's absolutely. This is a situation where we're fighting for our children. It doesn't matter who you are, who you belong with, what faith, whatever it may be. It's strictly about common sense and understanding that this stuff is inappropriate for children. Why don't we just focus on the key parts of education? Najee, thank you very much. Stephanie, thank you very much. To be continued. Thank you very much. You bet. And we'll be right back. All I I can say... Is, is that, that the fake, fake news just doesn't get it, do they? They're obsessed with children and gender. A lot of them think that this is a good thing and that permanent gender reassignment surgery for children could possibly be a good thing. Many of us believe it's being overprescribed, okay? It's become trendy. John Stewart is one of those people who actually believes that this procedure may have a lot of merit for gender dysphoric young people. I don't think he knows what he's talking about, quite frankly. And uh, he went down to Arizona to interview this fine woman, Attorney General Rutledge, who just passed a great law that will prevent children from undergoing this radical, permanent, irreversible surgery. He clearly doesn't like it, and I think he's out to embarrass her. Why would the state of Arkansas step in to override parents, physicians, psychiatrists, endocrinologists who have developed guidelines 
Why would you override those guidelines? Well, I think it's important that all of those physicians, all of those experts, for every single one of them, there's an expert that says we don't need to allow children to be able to take those medications. That there are many instances right. where... But you know that's not true. You, you know it's not for everyone. There's one. There's These are the established... Well, I don't know that, that that's not true. I don't know that... Then why, you would know you, that. why would you pass a law then if you don't, if you don't know that that's true? Wouldn't you well, I know that there are doctors and that we had plenty of people come and testify before our legislature mm -hmm. who said that... Uh, you know, we have 98% of the young people who have gender dysphoria, right. are, that they are able to move past that. And once they have the, the help that they need, no longer suffer from gender dysphoria. 98% wow. without uh, that medical treatment. That's, that, an, that's an so, incredibly made up figure. <laughs> that's, that doesn't comport with any of the studies or documentation that exists from these medical organizations. Everybody's laughing. You see, this is designed to embarrass, not to illuminate. By the way, he's, uh, he thinks that the American Medical Association and other medical groups never make mistakes. They do all the time, and they're called out for those mistakes routinely. Headline after headline, people are always screaming about mistakes made by the American Medical Association, by very qualified doctors. Happens all the time. But liberals think that these experts must have all the wisdom as well. Parents with children who have gender dysphoria have lost children to suicide and, and depression and they absolutely because it's have. acute. And so these mainstream medical organizations have developed guidelines through peer-reviewed data and studies. And through those guidelines, they've improved mental health outcomes. So I'm confused why you follow AMA guidelines and AAAP guidelines for all other health issues than Arkansas, because we checked, but not for this. It's simply saying, let those young people who are facing gender confusion and dysphoria, allow them to become adults and to make that decision. Allow a child to be a child. So here's where we have our, our crossroads. You've made the determination that protecting these children means not giving them access to the guidelines and care that have been designed by medical and mental health professionals for children expressing gender dysphoria. And I'm asking you again, what are your qualifications to step in and say, no, keeping you from that care is protecting you. You've made that determination. Well, these are irreversible decisions that these children at these young ages are making or that their They're parents are making. They're not making the decision. You're making it sound like a nine-year-old walks into a doctor's office and says, give me some testosterone. And the doctor goes, oh, thank God, because we're wanting to create an army of transgenders because we're crazy. That's actually not funny. That might be what's actually happening, okay? We see these people being brought into schools to read to kids. Yeah, we wonder what the hell is happening to society. It's actually not that crazy, John. It's actually happening. We'll be right back. Thank you. Thank you very much for watching. And uh, to be continued tomorrow, what else?
Hope you're enjoying it. Spread the word if you can. See you tomorrow.